So this morning, we are going to be continuing in our series on the one another's and further expounding upon the chief foundational uh, wellspring of all of the one another's, which is love one another. And we talked about on Monday how Jesus gave a new commandment, and what was new about it primarily was the standard of our love for one another was not based upon ourselves, but was based upon his love for us. And uh, I mentioned before as well that loving one another um, is reiterated uh, all throughout Scripture in so many different places. And Paul in the letters wrote roughly around 60% of the one another's that are uh, listed in the New Testament. And this is reiterated in a lot of other ways. And what this, I wanted to do just real briefly this morning, you'll be hearing primarily from our two worship arts associates, Adam Hepner and Alyssa Sorakis. And they're going to be focusing on a particular aspect of one another, really an extension of how it is that we carry that out and love one another. But just to kind of set up a little bit of the context of where they're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul begins the chapter by, by saying this. He says, therefore... Uh, be imitators of God as beloved, there it is by the way, beloved children. And then he says this, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I mentioned before this type of love of this agape love can be defined as giving to others what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. Giving to others what they need the most. What is it that we need the most? Well, we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. We need to be forgiven. But notice that earlier in Ephesians 2, we're not just saved from something. We're not just saved from uh, damnation. We're not just saved from the wrath of God. We're not saved from death. We're also saved for something. We're saved unto something, a purpose. We've been new, re, we are created anew in Christ, and, and, and there's new works that God has prepared before and that we would walk in them. So we're saved for something. So it's giving to others what they need the most, when they deserve it the least, that idea that the greatest love that was demonstrated was Jesus on the cross. That while we are yet still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us by dying for us on the cross. And so in other words, that it's the very love of Christ that transforms dead rebels into living and beloved sons and daughters of a perfect heavenly father. That's what the gospel does. But walking in love then also is directly connected to later on uh, here. It says walk in wisdom making the best use of our time. And we want to make the best use of our time when we gather together. We actually want this to be a living laboratory of learning how to love one another as Christ loved us. We want chapel to be an opportunity for us to actually practice and to be tangibly express the one another's. And so you're going to see here in just a moment in the verse that's on screen and what Adam and Alyssa are going to be talking about, this idea that we cannot walk in love without walking in wisdom. We cannot walk in wisdom without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this idea of Paul saying, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or self-destruction, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The verb here, this is the main verb of the section, means it's, it's, it's meant to be an ongoing, continuous action. So keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's the main verb. But then as you look later on in the, the, then the succeeding verses are four other verbs that are called parsitables. The, we see them as the I-N-G words here in our English text, but really what they are, they're four other verbs that participate in the main verb of how it is that we're filled ongoing with the Holy Spirit. And one of those, the very next one, as you see it on screen, is addressing one another. One another what? How? 
with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so would you uh, pray with me as Adam comes up and uh, continues our time together and talking about this first aspect of being filled with the Spirit. And so Lord Jesus, I thank you that in your name we can come before you as your beloved sons and daughters. Thank you that you have given to us what we needed the most in yourself, that you are our Savior, you are our salvation, you are our joy, you are our sacrifice. Uh, When we deserved it the least, thank you that even while we were yet sinners, you demonstrated your love by dying for us and at great personal cost, and it was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to you. So Lord, teach us now. uh, Shape our minds. uh, Regenerate hearts and spur on our hands and feet towards loving good deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's up, Wednesday Chapel? How are we doing? Yes. My name's Adam. So excited to be speaking in chapel today. And, you know, just I'm so grateful for this opportunity to have the mic right now. And while I have the opportunity to have the mic, I just wanted to say, can we just give a huge shout of love for our leader, Justin Jepson in chapel? Let's just give him some honor where honor is well-deserved. I just think it's so important that we don't take for granted that, man, we have such a great leader uh, to lead us in chapel. And it's so funny. There's a lot of times that I end up feeling like because that I'm on staff or whatever, that like whenever Justin speaks, it's so profound to me. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so, so good. But then I have this feeling of like, wait, I'm on staff. This shouldn't be so profound to me. Like I should know this, right? But then I think like, oh, there's that group called like the Pharisees. I don't know if y'all heard of them, but that attitude didn't really go that far for them. And so I'm like, I'm just going to eat this up, the fact that we have such a great leader, and I'm going to get closer to Jesus. So thank you, Justin. We love you. So I just wanted to give that shout out before we get started. Okay. (sighs) The Holy Spirit. I like the Holy Spirit, man. He's cool. And I really wanted to talk about what is, what is this verse even, what does it mean? I just wanted to pick it apart really, really briefly. So really what Paul is doing here is he's using this contrast of being drunk with wine, right? For that's debauchery. Don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the spirit. And this contrast is, is uh, using the fact that when you drink too much wine, right? You become intoxicated with the alcohol, your, your mind and your feelings and your actions, they all start to be controlled by the influence of alcohol, right? And so what Paul is saying is don't, don't let the alcohol be the influence, but rather let the Holy Spirit who's inside of you, let him be the influence. Let him have control over your thoughts and your feelings and your actions. And I just wanted to acknowledge something really quick as well, that, you know, we all have uh, probably been a part of very moving, like, church services or maybe motivational talks or maybe a YouTube video or a TikTok, you know, maybe it's like, oh, wedding videos, come on. (laughs) Don't tell me y'all have never cried for a wedding video. Like when they say I do and you're just (laughs) weeping or pretty much anything to do with a dog or a baby or like grilling a steak, like perfect medium rare. Like, I don't know about you. I just, I just start to weep. Um, so we all have been a part of like such moving experiences. And the, and the question that I just want to raise to you is that don't those, don't those experiences don't they sometimes feel a little, just a little similar to what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, aren't those two, I don't know, it doesn't the line get a little blurred from time to time? And so 
the one thing that I want to just talk about really, really briefly is what is the difference? What's the difference between a very moving, emotional experience and actually being filled, a true filling of the Holy Spirit? Because there's something I want to, want to offer to you is that we can manufacture emotion. We, I, I'll show you. Actually, you probably, y'all probably won't wonder what this is here for. I'm going to show you. We can manufacture emotion. And so Andrew in the back, he's going he's gonna to fade me up real slow, like for just a second here. Can y'all hear that? Do you feel that? I've heard this called the Holy Spirit pad once before. And as worship leaders, we know how to use this real well. End of the sermon, pastor's wrapping up. Worship leader tries to sneak on stage, but he can't. He's, everybody sees him. And all of a sudden, we're in this space where we feel something. You hit that minor chord, makes you want to cry. But then he wraps up and he, and he moves to a real triumphant point and we, we go to that major, that major one. And it makes you want to do something. And so right now, to further prove this point, I, I want to invite Justin back up. Actually, he's going to help me out. We'll do something real quick. All right. I'm going to prove to you that I can make you feel something. Okay. So what Justin's going to do is he's going to read a nursery rhyme, Good Night Moon. <laughs> I don't know if y'all have heard of it, but Justin's going to read it. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to manufacture your emotions. And, and here we go. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of a cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs and two little kittens and a pair of mittens and a little toy house and a young mouse and a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush and a quiet old lady who was whispering hush. Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Good night, light and red balloon. Good night, bears and good night, chairs. Good night, kittens and good night, mittens. Good night, clocks and Good night, socks. Good night, little house. And good night, mouse. Good night, comb. And good night, brush. Good night, mush. And good night to the little old lady whispering, hush. Good night, stars. Good night, air. Good night to noises everywhere. Are you joking? Don't tell me you're all not crying right now. Someone's crying in the room. I can feel it. It makes my kids cry. Yeah, it makes the kids my four-year-old son just ah, read sure. it again, read it again. For sure, man, that was that was great. So now I'm, I'm gonna stop this. Okay, so the the point that I want to make is that like 
you know, I'm not being arrogant right now, but I did that pretty well. Like, <laughs> I could do, I could you do killed this. It. Like, I know how to, I know how to do this. Um, and and not, not just me, you know, musicians, people, especially like musicians in the church, like this is something that we know how to do. We know that music can evoke emotion. And now I want to make the quick point that uh, getting back to really what we're talking about is that we do need to be careful with this, right? There is something to be careful that we're not seeking to only manufacture emotion because that can be, that can border the line of manipulation and, and there's some tricky and, and hairy things there. But if we are careful, careful about that, we make sure that our motivation isn't to just only feel something, you know, they're actually, the point that I want to make is that, you know, the Bible is very clear that music does have a special place in our lives and in the church. And, and the Bible talks very positively about music, like, you know, the Kings calling for David to play the harp and, and in Psalms all over the place, it says to pl- to praise God with instruments, right? So it has a special place. And so now, to turn to a little more serious note, um, I actually, I want to have Justin read Psalm 23, and I'm going to do, do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing, and what I want you to, to just acknowledge and just to recognize is that as Justin is reading the holy, living word of God, when it's accompanied by music, just notice how it can actually, it hits you in just a, a different way. And I think this is why the Bible talks about music in this way, is that there is something about it. There is something about it that is good, and I think God loves it. He loves music, and I think that's why he created it. So we're going to do the same thing, and just, I just want to give you permission to just hear the text and hear the music and just let the words hit you, right? So here we go. So hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And so there's just something special about it. And so I guess the one quick point, the, the reason why we go into all this, all this um, fun stuff, uh, why we just did all that is I just want to give you permission. I just want to say to you that to let, give yourself permission that music is not a bad thing. I, I, I think it is really great and it's powerful, especially when we use it in the appropriate um, setting, when we use it in a spiritual sense that it just lets, it lets the, uh, the scripture or the prayer or the speaking or whatever it is, it just adds an element that is so special and it's so powerful. So 
So backing, backing up to the main thing that we were talking about is, okay, so there's this emotional, we, we can have an emotional experience, but we can also be filled with the spirit. How do we tell the difference? How do we, how do we get, navigate that? I think the answer lies in just trying to understand what, how do we be filled with the spirit? And actually, um, as I looked into the Greek really briefly of this phrase or this word, be filled, be filled. In the Greek, the word um, or the phrase in Greek is, is a passive verb. And what that means is, and a lot of commentators say that because it's a passive verb, it's something that can't be manufactured or it's, it's, there's no formula for it. There is a formula for me making you feel sad or happy or whatever, but there isn't a formula for being filled with the spirit. It's a passive, passive verb. And so here's what I would submit to you is, uh, there's this thing called the cognitive triangle. Anybody heard of the cognitive triangle? Okay, a few people. It's this triangle where there is thoughts, emotions, and behaviors or actions. And this triangle, they all, all three of those things affect one another. So your thoughts affect your emotions, which affect your behavior, and all the way back around. And I would suggest to you that with the cognitive triangle being this kind of shape, the filling of the Holy Spirit happens when you place the Holy Spirit in the middle of all three of those things and you just completely submit and surrender each of those aspects to God, to the Holy Spirit. How do you become drunk? You consume yourself with wine. How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? You have, you fill yourself with God. And I want to read this quote. It's from R.A. Torrey. It says, If we think of the Holy Spirit, as so many do, as merely uh, the power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? And so as a follower of Christ, as you seek to be filled with the Spirit, just ask yourself that question, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? And I think that's our step. That is the one step we can take in the direction of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So like Justin said, um, we're looking at this whole passage. We just talked about that first part. And now Alyssa, come on up. She's going uh, gonna to talk about this next section, which is um, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We're going to see how these two connect. And uh, Alyssa's going to expand on that a little bit. Welcome her up, would you? All right. Well, good morning. Um, like Adam and Justin said, I'm Alyssa. I serve alongside Adam as the other worship arts associate. And it's just so good to be with you this, here this morning. So Adam kind of touched on verse 18. And I'm going to really tackle verse 19 in this passage. And one of my favorite things about being a worship leader is not only the music part, but also diving into why we worship, what is worship, and what does scripture say about worship. So I'm I'm just going to read verse 19 again. It's up there. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, when you first read this verse, you may think, wait, is this saying that we should actually be living a life that's like a musical? Like where everything we say, whenever we come up to someone, we just speak to one another in a song? 
And for some of you, that would be a dream come true. I sometimes walk down the halls, and some of you do live that out. I hear singing all through the halls. But for others, that would be a nightmare if you had to just sing all the time. But what this verse is saying is that the mode in which we speak should have a similar type tone to that in which we worship God in. So not that we worship one another, but that what we speak to one another is truth-filled, it is uplifting, and that God remains the highest priority. Now, if we were to address one another with the same tone as when we worship, we need to understand what is worship. What is it? Simply, worship is important because it is what we were made for. Cheetahs are made to run. The stars were made to shine. Humans were made to worship. Whether you are a Christian or not, we are all worshiping something or someone. We do it naturally. It's instinctive. And in fact, our lives are characterized by what or who we worship. But what is worship? Worship, the way God designed it, is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and with our heart. And by voices, we don't just mean singing. We worship all the time. In fact, everything we do in our life should be an act of worship. It's not just 15 minutes at church or only when we come into this building on Friday praise chapels. It is the direct expression of our ultimate purpose for living. It is our outward display of our inward belief. We're commanded to do it, and it is a privilege, it is an honor, and it is the proper response to God. And God initiates worship by revealing himself to us so that we respond in worship. So worship is acknowledging and understanding who God is. If he is so holy and worthy to be praised, then he is holy and worthy to be a part of all of our conversations. Now, in this particular verse, it makes a distinction between types of expressions of worship. It says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It could have easily just said music. So why does it say these three different things? So these are all songs consisting of spiritual matter focused on God. So I just want to give you a brief definition of what these are so that you know exactly what scripture is saying. So when it says psalms, it actually refers to the Old Testament songs that were sung by the Jews and shared among Christians that were written under the direction of the Holy Spirit, right? We find the psalms in the Bible. It is from the Holy Spirit, it is from God. Psalms are about praise and worship to God. The word psalm literally means praise. Now we look at hymns. This is a direct praise and honor to God. So psalms are about God, hymns are to God. They were actually more formal, they were meant to instruct. It's not what we call hymns today. So often we think, oh, the hymns that we, that we have in our hymnal, that's what the scripture is saying, no. The hymns that we have today were written like in the 1500s, 1600s, way after scripture was written. So, and unlike the Psalms, hymns are not written by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit and are not considered part of scripture. However, 
they oftentimes incorporate portions of scripture and are filled with rich doctrinal truth. Even after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. You can find that in Matthew 26. Lastly, spiritual songs. These are more spontaneous. These would be equivalent to what we would call contemporary music. It follows the cultural styles, yet it's focused on God-honoring lyrics. Believers are to express their faith in song, but not just any song. Scripture indicates that the songs have to be spiritual. They have spiritual themes. So this might be if you hear songs that are um, expressing the joy of one's salvation, or you revel in the grace of Christ, or you're exalting the greatness and the power of God. So that's what all three of those means. And Paul notes that all styles of music can be used to honor and praise God as long as God is the focus, okay? So addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart. So when we speak to one another, it should be edifying to God, filled with truth and love. And how do we do this? Well, we look back at verse 18 that Adam just spoke about. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit How do you get drunk? You fill yourself with wine. How do you get filled with the Spirit? By spending time with the Lord, by reading his scripture, listening and praying, worshiping the Lord. And some of you may think, well, how do I know what God's voice sounds like? Right, you've probably heard people say like, I heard God say this to me and so I did this. How do you know? All of you, can hear God's voice, it's the Bible. When you read the Bible, that is his voice speaking. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living, and it's like a two-edged sword. It can cut through confusion and garbage or sin that is in our heads. And when you read the word, you start to begin to distinguish between the voice of God and truth and the voice of the enemy who is the voice of lies. When you get thoughts in your head, they are either coming from the enemy, from God, or you're just making them up yourself. But even if you're making them up yourself, they're still gonna align with either God or the enemy. So when you're spending time in the word, you tend to start to distinguish between those two things. We look at Jesus. How does Jesus speak to us? Jesus calls his disciples his friends. He speaks to us truthfully, lovingly, and sometimes the truth and love comes out as a warning or conviction of sin, but he doesn't come to condemn us. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He speaks in truth, and love, he speaks promises over us. And how does the good shepherd speak to his sheep? Shouldn't over time, our voice start to sound like the voice of Jesus? I'm not saying that we are Jesus, but if we are his disciples, walking in the footsteps of Christ and 
emulating him. And if we have the Holy Spirit in us, then shouldn't over time the tone of our voice start to sound like his voice? For me, and maybe for you guys too, how many of you often spend time with your friends, but then all of a sudden you start to talk like them or you start to say things like them or you have like an inside joke, right? So the more time you spend with a person, you start to talk like them, right? So it's the same thing. When you spend more time with Jesus, that's the more our words, our thoughts, our actions will start to sound and be like Jesus. And if, if he talks to us like a friend or a father, how should we speak to one another? Addressing one another as when we worship him. So I want you guys to think of someone in your life that you speak to a lot, whether it's a roommate, a parent, close friend, colleague at work, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband or wife. Would you say that how you speak to them is making melody to the Lord in your heart or not? James says that the tongue is so powerful that a spark can burn down a whole forest. It's the rudder of the boat. It's the smallest part of the boat, but it can steer the ship any which way you please. And Proverbs 8.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it eat of its fruit. So the words that you speak to one another is either bringing life to that relationship or they are bringing death. You can literally kill a relationship with your tongue. We were created as image bearers of God. I mean, think of how God created everything. He spoke it into existence. When God speaks, he creates and he cultivates. So that means when we speak, We're supposed to speak light, speak things into existence, like truth. Cultivate environments where people love and can flourish. And this is just how important our words are. It's like toothpaste out of the tube. Once it's out there, there's no putting it back in. So when words leave our mouth, they're either gonna bring life or they're gonna bring death. And the only thing that can come out of you is what is within you. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do you hold dear to your heart? What you hold dear to your heart should be singing and making a melody to the Lord. And making a melody to the Lord is the aftermath of what you are putting into your heart. Truth in your heart will lead you to things that are glorifying to God. So I just want to encourage you to bring the spirit of worship into your conversations so that God is getting the focus. When he is at the forefront of our minds, we start to see the things the way God sees them. We start to speak and act how he would want us to. Don't compartmentalize worship like conversations. They should be intertwined. You know, and of course we can talk about like, oh, how was class, Um, how the test went, Uh, sports, whatever interests you have, but when you speak, is it glorifying and edifying to God in how you speak? Is it bringing melody to him? I'm going to invite the worship team back up 
and we're going to have another time of worship as we close today, as we sing praises to God. And I want you all to stand. And I just want you to remember that what you fill your heart with, your minds with, what you fill yourself with will be an outpouring. So as we join in worship right now, worshiping God is the first step to get filled. Addressing is to have worship on your lips and in your heart as you go about your days. So let's pray and we're gonna worship. God, we just thank you so much for this time and this time to worship you. May we be a reflection of you. May we be filled with your spirit, Jesus, so that in every conversation, it would be glorifying to you. In your name I pray, Jesus, amen. You've been nothing 